Well, good morning. All right, first thing I wanna do is to make sure everybody can hear me in the back. That's been the only complaint that we've had. Everybody here all right in the back or you want it up a little bit more? Up a little bit, Will? No, that's a thumbs up, that's, we're good. Everybody good? All right. Well, we got some Zoomers with us this morning, George and Gwen and Tracy and Heather. Uh, all right. Yeah, see, you can see I got my little Bluetooth in it. That way I can kind of move away because it used to be if I was more than like two feet away from the screen, they couldn't hear me and it got all muffled and that kind of thing. So we're evolving here with this technology. Uh, we're doing it though, right? We're doing it. All right. Let's open up in prayer this morning. Heavenly Father, God, what an awesome day to be in your house, to be with you, to call upon your name. You are here with us and we thank you, Lord. In all of it, Lord, and all the craziness and the new normal and all these things we have to adjust to. And thanks for turning down the thermostat a little bit outside, appreciate that. Uh, but God, whether it's 150 degrees, whether we're by ourselves, uh, as some of our brothers and sisters are across the world, Lord, in a, in a three-foot-by-three-foot cell, uh, whatever it is that we have to deal with, God, you are still worthy. Whatever happens, Lord, in this life, we know of the sure and certain hope of a resurrection one day in eternity in your presence we thank you for that, Lord. We thank you that somehow, God, you opened the door for us to be able to hear your gospel and the grace to respond to that, Lord, so that we know that that eternity is set, that eternity is secure. We bless you for that this morning. Jesus, we're unworthy. We didn't deserve it, but Lord, you came and you gave yourself for us. We thank you so much, Lord, today. And we pray that today's gathering, Lord, would honor and glorify you. Speak to our hearts as we worship you here in this place today. In Jesus' name, and all God's family said, amen. All right, let's go to... Let's go to our first video, if you would, sir. I wanted to, uh, I, I know it's all a bummer for us not to be able to sing like we want to. Then we'd have to stretch everybody out to 12 feet. <laughs> then we'd have like three people in here. Um, but you know what? Uh, this is a song that we're familiar with. And if we can't join in with our, with our mouths, maybe we can all clap together. Maybe we can worship with our body, right? As, uh, as the psalm says, you know, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. And I praise him in the, in the dance and praise him with the voice and praise him with the instruments, everything, because he's worthy of praise. Amen? Amen. He's alive. Amen. Figured I'd invite a couple thousand of my closest friends to 
join us this morning. Tom, did you think we were clapping for you when you walked in? <laughs> I said, did you think we were clapping for you when you walked in? <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. All right, kids' message this morning. Got a couple of young men right down here in the front. Uh, have you guys ever read the story, probably one that a lot of people are familiar with, of the little engine that could? You guys ever read that? Well, let me refresh your memory a little bit. There was a, a train load full of toys. And they were going to uh, the city for a lot of good girls and boys who were going to get some toys, and the engine broke down. And so they were stuck. And then some other engines came by, and they said, oh, no, we can't help you. We got important things to do. And then finally, one little engine said, hey, I can help you out, but we have to get over that big mountain to get to the city. And he said, uh-oh, I've never been over that mountain before, and I'm such a little engine, but you know what? I think I can. 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 And he made it over the mountain and got all the toys to the good girls and boys. There is a verse of scripture, and I'll, I'll do this in the, in the New King James. The verse of scripture says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. What you guys and what us guys think in our hearts about ourselves is what we're going to be. Uh, if we say to ourselves, oh, I'll never be good at that. I can't do that. I'll never do that then you know what? That's an automatic failure, right? What we think in our hearts, and there's a lot of stuff in this world that tells us that if we can't do this, we can't do this, we can't do the other thing, that we're just not as good as other people. And we say, ah, oh, I'm not as good as this one. I can't sing like this one. I can't do, and all of that stuff can get into our hearts and we can say, ah, oh, but the Bible says that you and us are valuable to God. The Bible says that we can do anything that God wants us to do. The Bible says that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. And so we should never, ever, ever think down on ourselves for any reason whatsoever. Uh, because if God wants it done... It can happen, because as we talked a couple of weeks ago, God can do anything, right? So, I think I can. So whether it's, whether it's math or whether it's some other kind of situation, um, never make it through that situation, tough situation, always remember, with God, all things are possible. All right? Because even more than the little engine, with God, we can say, I know I can, I know I can, I know I can, I know I can. Amen? All right.
Before going into the message this morning, um, I do have, did, did everybody bring, we're going to have communion at the end of the message. Did everybody bring communion stuff with you? Does anybody that does not have it this morning? Okay, we've got a few. All right. Um, I do have some that I brought with me, so you're safe. Uh, yeah, we we didn't have it last week, first of the month, like we normally do. So we said, let's let's try it for for this week, and uh, we'll see how that goes. Another another new thing to add into the mix, right? So uh, also today is uh, or last week would have been when we do our deacons offering. So if you notice next to the box in that back corner. Uh, where we've had that, there is a, a, a small podium like this with a lid that lifts up. So if you would, uh, throw a deacon's offering in there and uh, continue on the tradition of having something a little extra for those who uh, need a leg up now and then. Amen? Amen. Well, we have been talking about miracles, uh, starting with uh, what Jesus said about people seeing miracles and how uh, that was necessary in some cases to give people, as we talked about, that little extra nudge. Um, but we're, we're looking at it, too, as a ministry of the church in the world. Uh, we saw this very, very clearly in the book of Acts. And we've been looking at the question, if miracles were so much a part of the ministry of Jesus and so much a part of the early church, why aren't we seeing those kinds of powerful things happening more in our midst today? And the first reason we saw from Matthew uh, chapter 13 is that very few miracles happen in an atmosphere of unbelief, such as we have in America in the 21st century, and was in Jesus's hometown of Nazareth. Um, but as we saw also, there were the few that were open. There were the few that Jesus found that uh, opened their hearts and, there were, and were able to receive that miracle. And so the hope is that Though we would share of the good news of Jesus, we might find, you know, uh, nine out of ten doors closed or whatever, but there might be that one that is open. And uh, we want to keep knocking on those doors <laughs> spiritually. Amen. And when one little obscure miracle happens, and, and let me say this, the greatest miracle of all is a changed life. The greatest miracle of all is that God can take a sinner such as I, right, and change my life and for all of eternity. Just awesome. But one little obscure miracle can have exponential effects, can't it? We see it in the scriptures. One person believes, then a whole family believes then spreads out from there. So uh, the second reason I want to get into today, that we don't see many miracles happen, uh, I'm going to call this inaccurate 
theology, inaccurate theology. The supernatural working of the Holy Spirit in and through the church is not being taught today, as 2 Timothy 2.15 says, rightly dividing the word of truth. Rightly dividing the word of truth. More often than not, the supernatural work of the Spirit is either way out there on the fringes, right? Uh, people rolling on the floor and swinging from the chandeliers and all that kind of thing. Uh, or it's just not at all. Why is that? Because verses are taken out of context or predetermined beliefs are read into the scriptures. And either way, it spells fringe. It spells extreme one to the other. And we're not seeing a balance uh, a lot in the church today. Let me show you what I mean. Mark chapter 16. Go ahead and turn there this morning. Mark chapter 16, verse 17 says, And these signs, this is, these are the words of Jesus, And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up serpents with their hands. And if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick, and they will recover. Look again at verse 18. I want to focus on this one this morning. Verse 18, they will pick up serpents with their hands. Like that one, Paul? <laughs> no. They will pick up serpents with their hands, and if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. Now, seemingly, if you read this at a glance, it says that if you truly believe, then you can handle poisonous snakes or drink poison and you'll be fine. And so, in some corners of Christianity, I'm sure you've all heard about it, there are people that handle snakes as part of their worship. They have snakes in the church and people handle poisonous snakes that's part of their worship. Now, I'm, I, I don't want to get down on anybody uh, this morning. I'm going to give the benefit of the doubt that these are well-meaning people who uh, really want to glorify God. But are they rightly dividing the word of truth? Are they rightly dividing the word of truth? Look at Matthew chapter 4. Beginning at verse 5, this is part of the temptation of Jesus by the devil in the wilderness. It says this, The devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Do you see the similarity between this and the passage that we read in Mark. So if you truly believe, you should be able to throw yourself down from here and God will catch you or his angels will catch you, right? If, then, because here is the promise in the scripture, right? But what was Jesus' answer to the devil when he said that? He said, again it is written, you shall not put your Lord the Lord your God, to the test. I love that. Again, it is written. This is what is known as the whole counsel of God. 
I've used that phrase before, memorize that phrase, the whole counsel of God. Not taking one verse out of the Bible and building a doctrine around it, right? Building a whole concept of worship around it or whatever, but looking at the whole of Scripture. This is what I attempt to do every Sunday morning, not to just give you uh, a verse and say this is what this means, but to give you a principle out of the Scriptures with collaborating verses. Here's what it says in the Old Testament. Here's what it says in the New Testament. We see this principle all the way through so that you have a firm foundation to stand on, not because, you know, it's easy to interpret Scripture in a lot of different ways. And the best interpreter of Scripture is Scripture. Best interpreter of Scripture is Scripture. So Jesus was saying that uh, this promise is a promise of general protection if you find yourself in a crisis you should be able to trust that the Lord is with you, right? This, that's a general principle from the scripture. Call out to the Lord when you're in trouble. He hears and he answers, right? But he said, you don't do it on purpose. Because doing it on purpose, putting yourself in jeopardy, putting yourself in harm like that, is testing the Lord. It's testing the Lord. If you want to study that out and all what, what testing the Lord is all about, uh, go ahead and write down Exodus 17, 7. Okay, you're testing the Lord. Let's, let's see. Let's, let's have God prove himself here. Let's see if he'll answer. I don't know if he will or not. That's basically the attitude of testing the Lord. And Jesus said to put yourself in harm's way like that, um, even though the promise is there in Scripture to do it on purpose, is testing the Lord. On the other hand, here is Paul in Acts chapter 28. Uh, I don't have that Scripture on the screen, but in Acts 28, he is en route to Rome, and they have a shipwreck. And they're washed ashore, and it's raining, and it's cold, and they're trying to build a fire. And the Apostle Paul picks up a bunch of wood for kindling, and a viper comes out and attaches itself to his hand. Oh, no. This is a poisonous snake, and all the natives there on the island are waiting for Paul to die. Paul simply shakes the snake off into the fire. He doesn't swell up. He doesn't have heart palpitations, nothing. He just goes on like nobody's business. Then the natives there think he's some kind of a god, right? What happened? The promise was fulfilled. The promise rang true. But you didn't see Paul saying, hey, bring me a snake. I'm going to reach in there and I'm going to grab this snake to show you how much faith I have. No. You see the difference? Again, people well-meaning, but not rightly dividing the word of truth. And so, in an attempt, I believe, to counteract some of the foolishness that goes on in the name of faith that makes Christians out to be weird. You have, on the other hand, many wonderful, well-meaning teachers who have likewise determined that God just doesn't work supernaturally anymore. 
that all of the miracles and the gifts of the Holy Spirit in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, 14, uh, prophecy, speaking in unlearned languages, gifts of healing, uh, all of that, uh, that all died out with the apostles. Uh, there is a book by a well-known church leader. I, you'd probably recognize the name. I'm not going to give it out. Uh, a PhD, okay, very learned person, president of a Bible college, editor of a magazine, wrote a whole book on this subject uh, on the stated premise that, quote, every recorded instance of the reception of miraculous power in the New Testament occurred through the ministry of an apostle. Every time that it's recorded, it's through the ministry of an apostle. Acts chapter 6, verse 1. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. The early church had a ministry of feeding the poor, especially looking at the widows. And it seemed to people that the Greek widows didn't get the same treatment that the Hebrew widows did because the church was all converted Jewish people back then, right? Um, or, or the most of them, the leaders, they were the, the ones that initially came to faith in Christ. So they said, well, you guys are giving food to these guys first or these ladies first and not these ladies. And this isn't right. Something's going on there. So the 12, the 12 apostles uh, summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, um, all right, let me, let, me, let me say this. This is not a pride thing. This was not... We're, we're too good to wait tables. I'm not too good to clean toilets, okay? Um, part, of, part of the maturity in Christ that we see in people's lives is their willingness to humble themselves and do the dirty jobs, right? This was not beneath the apostles. Um, it was absolutely essential for them to devote their time to prayer and the ministry of the word. Absolutely essential for them. They couldn't do it all. They couldn't do it all, just like a pastor can't do it all. Listen, the Bible says that Jesus often got alone by himself to pray. Often. Could Jesus have been ministering 24-7? I mean, there were crowds and crowds of people that were sick and this and that and the other thing. He could have been going 24-7, literally. But he didn't, right? There were times that he dismissed the crowds, times that he said, hey, listen, guys, we, we need to go to the other side of the lake and get some rest, right? We need to get some. And Jesus often took time to be alone, to pray, to get, you know, Jesus said, I do the things that the Father shows me, right? When did the Father show him? When he got alone with him and communed with him. It was imperative that the apostles likewise in this early church and continuing on, uh, it's, in, it's imperative for leaders to spend time in the presence of God. And the ministry of the word, that was their priority, right? 
So if they took time out to sort it out and to wait tables, they would be taking time away from their uh, stated purpose. Again, not a pride thing. So what did they do? So therefore, brothers, verse 3 of Acts 6, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this day. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenius, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. And these they set before the apostles, and they prayed, and they laid hands on them. Okay? They prayed, they laid hands on them. It was, it was uh, ordaining them, if you will, into service. Uh, no, notice uh, again, verse 2, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. That word there, diakono, uh, is the word we get our word deacon from. A deacon, the word is a servant. That's what it means, okay? So, um, where is it? Yeah. Diakoneo. That's better. Diakoneo. So these were not apostles. They were the deacons. They were brought on board to handle the more hands-on ministry of serving the poor. Right, serving food to the poor, among other things. So, who were these deacons? Well, among these deacons, verse 5, are Stephen and Philip. Go down to verse 8 of Acts chapter 6. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Wait a minute, I thought that was only apostles. Huh. Acts chapter 8, beginning in verse 4. Now, those were scattered, went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria, Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did for unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. Philip wasn't an apostle. He was a deacon. Huh. Acts chapter 9, beginning in verse 10. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, a vision? He gives visions to plain old disciples? Huh. And he said to him, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying and he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. So here is a disciple, not an apostle, not even a deacon, who lays his hands on the apostle Paul, and the apostle Paul is instantly healed. So, hmm, just the apostles? I think not. Galatians. I don't have the, the, the verse written down, but Galatians uh, also refers to, uh, really kind of offhandedly, does, does the God who works miracles among you do so because of the, your keeping of the law or because of your faith? He asks the Galatian church. 
Miracles are going on in the Galatian church. Hmm. Another one of the main proof texts that uh, I want to look at today for this view that every, all of this died out with the apostles, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, beginning at verse 8. And it says this, as for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. There it is. There it is. It passed away. All of those supernatural gifts that the Holy Spirit bestowed on the early church, and Paul went to great lengths in the book of Corinthians to teach how and why to use them. They were only going to be there for a couple of years anyway, because now they're all ceased to function. Why? Well, because the perfect has come. Okay, with all due respect, what is the perfect? Well, the perfect, of course, is the Bible, right? God's Word. Well, that sounds good. But does inserting the Bible into this passage as what Paul meant by the perfect, does that really hold up, or are we reading something into it because we've decided on this belief already and we're going to insert that into the Scripture? Go down just a couple of verses, 1 Corinthians 13, 12. In this same context, in this same discourse, this same letter to the Corinthians, just a few verses later, he says, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. What's he talking about? when all of this stuff passes away? What's he talking about when the perfect comes? What's he talking about face to face? Is he talking about the coming of the Bible? The coming of, of the books of scriptures that were gathered together? And, and, and when was that? Was it when the Eastern church decided, when the Western church decided? When, when did this happen? Did, did all of a sudden uh, the church is being able to operate in supernatural spiritual gifts one day, and it's like, okay, we completed the Bible, and then the day after that, all that power is gone? Does that really make sense? What's he talking about then face-to-face? -face? The coming of the Bible or the coming of Jesus Christ? Now we know in part, he says, even with this most wonderful, sacred book containing the revelation of God to us, which is complete. Absolutely necessary. Can I submit to you, we still only know in part? We still only know in part. Yes, in here is all we need, Peter says, for life and godliness. But there's a lot left unanswered. I don't know about you, but I still have a lot of questions. And I see different subjects come up in the church over the last couple of thousand years that, are, that have been debated for 2,000 years, right? There are mysteries about God. 
How can God be three in one? Can somebody please explain the Trinity to me? No, we know in part. We know in part. How does God's grace and our free will come together in salvation? I don't know, right? I know in part, but I don't know fully. When will we know fully, as Paul's talking about? When will we know fully? When we see him face to face. When the perfect one comes back and sets up his perfect kingdom, which will be an everlasting kingdom. When the judgment is over, when the church will not need to be empowered supernaturally to be a witness of, Christ, of the resurrected Christ to the world. Why? Because there won't be any lost people. The judgment will be over. We'll be with him forever. We, we won't have a need for any supernatural anything. It's all done. We won't need to witness to anybody. There'd be nobody left to witness to. They're all basking in the glory of Jesus, right? That's when the perfect will come. All of this to say, and again, I'm, I'm, I'm talking about well-meaning people. But it's imperative to us, first of all, to get those two major points that for, we have to always look to the whole counsel of God. Not just take a passage out here. Is this a principle? Is this something that I can find as a principle throughout the scripture? Then we're on safe ground. Then we can start building doctrines in the church, right? Secondly, are we reading into the scripture predetermined beliefs? Okay, I was brought up and this is what we were taught. And now I bring this bias into the word of God. If I, if I decide, years ago, um, I kind of got caught up in the, uh, in the prosperity gospel thing for a time. Okay. I know firsthand that you can read that into the rest of scripture and, and, and make it say that. Um, but I wasn't looking at, I wasn't, I was coming to the scripture with that belief, not coming to the scripture for my belief, if you will. So very, very important that we let the word of God speak for itself and let the whole word of God speak. And why am I saying this? Because we have been taught for centuries, in some cases, that God doesn't work that way anymore. That we don't see miracles anymore. That the gifts of the Holy Spirit, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, 14, that, that, that's all gone. And so if we believe that it's all gone, is it going to be happening? No. Think of it back to the little engine that could, right? What a man thinks in his heart, so is he. If I have no expectation on God to work miraculously, it's not going to happen. I have no faith in that direction. I'm not looking to him in that direction. I, I heard a story once uh, 
told to me by, by somebody that I, I trust in the Lord. And there uh, was a Christian couple that fell upon hard times. And things were pretty lean. And what happened was that they had in some part of their house, they had a, a thing that had potatoes in it. And for that several month period of time, every time they reached into that bin, there were potatoes. Potatoes, potatoes, they ate a lot of potatoes. If I'm on lean times and I'm praying, God, I need you to provide for me, I'm not going to be looking in the potato bin. Right? I'm going to be looking for a check. I'm going to be looking for groceries on my front steps. I'm going to be looking for this or that or the other thing. I'm not going to be looking in the potato bin. And I, and I say that because we limit God if we tie his hands. If we say, God, you don't do this anymore, we tie his hands, don't we? If we're not looking in every area that we can look, we can shut God down. And I don't want to see God shut down. And I'm not saying that, um, you know, every prayer that we pray is going to have a miraculous thing. And we'll, we'll get into that because another, uh, another part of this is the will of God. Another big part of this whole thing is the will of God. I'm going to touch on that next week and uh, how that factors in. Even uh, the gifts of the Holy Spirit that are talked about in Corinthians, the Bible says the Holy Spirit distributes them as he will. As he will. Okay? So the will of God functions very much in there. But I don't want to limit God. I don't want to tie his hands. We live in a world where we need everything at our disposal to do what God is calling us to do. That same calling, that same uh, commission to be out there in the world and witness to the resurrected Christ. We need everything that God has for us to be able to do that. Amen? So, I want to begin to look to God as the God to whom nothing is impossible. The God who still hears and answers prayer. A God who still does bona fide supernatural miracles. And he can answer any way he wants, but I, but I, I certainly want that in the mix. Amen? Amen. Well, let's pray this morning. Oh, Lord, we thank you because you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. God, forgive us if we've tied your hands in any way, if we have left you, Lord, without options, if we've, uh, in, our, in our belief, in our uh, theology, Lord, if we've left part of what you want to do out of the picture. Lord, expand our vision. Expand, Lord, our faith in what you are able to do. Because, Lord, really, when you talk about the mustard seed of faith, it's not how big our faith is, it's how big our God is. 
And so we want to see you, Lord, high and lifted up. We want to see you, Lord, big, powerful, especially in this world that we're living in today. A world that is difficult, a world where there's widespread unbelief, a world that is, as the early church found, um, antagonistic towards you. Not just putting up with, but now, Lord, coming against godliness, coming against godly principles, coming against those who stand for godly principles. And so, Lord, we want to pray that same prayer that the disciples said and said, Lord, look at their threats. We don't want to shout them down on Facebook. We don't want to debate and, and, and win arguments with anybody. God, we pray that you would enable us to speak your word with boldness as you stretch out your hand and show the world who you are. Do those same signs and wonders. Do those same healings. Do, Lord, what you do for your glory when you want to do it. Glorify your name as we proclaim the risen Jesus Christ. We thank you for it, Lord. We give you the glory and the honor. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen and amen. Let's go to uh, video two, if you would, this morning. Let's just focus our hearts on him as we prepare our hearts for communion. We have a great God. A great God, a great and mighty and powerful and compassionate and faithful God. Amen. Let's worship him this morning. How great thou art. Amen. It all comes back to the cross, doesn't it? It all starts there. Our sins forgiven, washed away because of the incredible, generous sacrifice of Jesus for us. He said, as often as we would do this, to do it in remembrance of him. Lord, we thank you this morning for your body that was broken for us. You could have established an earthly kingdom. You could have ruled on this earth, but you had a better idea to save us from sin, to share your glory with us, Lord. Oh, God. Thank you for such incredible love. Jesus said, as often as you would partake it, do it in remembrance of me. Let's partake together the symbol of the Lord's broken body.
Likewise, he took the cup on that night and said to his disciples, this cup is the new covenant in my blood given for you. With gratitude in our hearts, with every sin that we ever committed or every will commit, thrown at the foot of the cross this morning. Let's drink the cup of cleansing, the symbol of the Lord's shed blood. Once again, Lord, thank you for your incredible grace. Thank you for being our God. And let's help us, Lord, to take you out of whatever box that we have you in. Let you be God in our lives and God in this world. Have your way, O oh God, we pray. Thank you. We praise you for it all. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen, amen, and amen.